that God would do. And everything that you thought that God would fulfill in your life doesn't happen. What do you do? What do you do when crisis comes, calamity happens, a dream fails, a hope is dashed on the rocks? What do you do? What do you do when everything that you thought would make you happy doesn't happen? The temptation is to take the matter in your own hands. Do you understand what I mean when I say take the matter into your own hands? The temptation is to say, God, you are simply not behaving in a proper way. I must take your job from you. And perform the duties of God in your life. The temptation is to take matters in your own hands. This happens when our marriage isn't going as well as we'd like it to go. Our spouse is not making us happy. And so what we do is we say, I know how to fix this. I'm going to give him the cold shoulder. I'm going to power up on her. I'm going to withhold. I'm going to give more of. See, the the temptation is to Take matters into your own hands. When our children are wayward and they have gone astray and they're going in a direction that we wish they wouldn't go, I know, I know what I'll do. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to threaten and bribe and punish and spank and withhold and give too much of. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. When the employment that we've had doesn't give us the kind of attention or We don't get the kind of promotion that we've been waiting for. Our career stalls. They say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I've taken matters in my own hands, haven't you? And when I've taken matters in my own hands, bad things happen. When the business is failing, we go, I'm going to sacrifice marriage and child. I'm going to sacrifice health and future. Because we always sacrifice for that which we worship. But in the end, it always leads its back to, 
I'm going to take matters in my own hands. When the doctor doesn't give us the reports and it's a long-term health crisis, desperation comes in. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. When the inheritance that we know should come to us doesn't come to us, but it comes to a brother or a a step-parent. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. When the relationship we've been working so hard, single people, listen to me. I know how to keep this guy. I'm going to sacrifice my body for the sake of the security of keeping him. Single men, listen to me. I know how to keep this girl. I'm going to spend more money than I have so that she could get used to a lifestyle that will infuriate me when she asks me for more money when we get married because I've made her used to a lifestyle that she's gotten used to. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. There's a simple lesson for us today. You could leave after you learn this lesson in just a second. But this lesson I've discovered is one of the toughest lessons that Christ followers have. It's one of those lessons that will transform your life or if you don't apply it, will ruin your life. The only thing that hangs in the balance in this message is your future. Choose your future. The lesson that I'm about to tell you is one that sounds simple, but in application, I see as one of the fewest things Christians apply. And it's simply this lesson. When you're tempted to take matters in your own hands, put them in the only hands that matter. Amen. That when you're tempted to move forward with the divorce, don't take matters into your own hands. Put them in the only hands that matter. When you're tempted to... Uh, be conniving and politicizing at your job when you're tempted to take matters in your own hands, put them in the only hands that matter. When you're tempted because you're desperate about your health, when you're tempted to make desperate moves, put them in the only hands that matter. When you're tempted to go... Uh, and treat your business like a god, or treat your... Listen, when you're tempted to take matters in your own hands, put them in the only hands that matter. Person in recovery, listen to me. When you hit a wall, and you will, I hope you know you'll hit a wall. Is that new news to anybody? Every one of us is going to hit a brick wall where our relationship with Christ will be tested. And when you're tempted to take matters in your own hands, I think I'll go back out and use or use something else. When you're tempted to take matters in your own hands, put the matter in the only hands that matter. Today, 
we're going to look at the story of a man by the name of Abram. Abram would later be known as Abraham. He becomes a very famous figure. In fact, he's the father of all of those who believe. Three of the greatest, or when I say greatest, I mean the most populated. Um, three of the biggest religions in the world find their origin in Abram or Abraham. Islam, Judaism, Christianity. Abram would have a legacy. God, you don't believe that prophecy is true. You don't believe that the Bible is true. Think about this. Has anybody here ever heard of Abraham before? I just mentioned him a few seconds ago. Did anybody here ever hear of Abraham? Okay. Think about this for a second. God promised that Abraham would be famed throughout the whole world for all time. It was like over 3,000 years ago. On the other side of the world. Name another person outside of the Bible that you know of that lived over 3,000 years ago. And they thought they were gods. Some of the emperors and the pharaohs. See, I love God's word because when God makes a promise, He's a promise keeper. When God says something's going to happen, it happens. You could have never predicted that Abraham would be known by... Think about this. Abraham is known by a Puerto Rican who was born in Brooklyn. It's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal fulfillment of a prophecy. But we're going to look at this hero of the faith... And we're going to look at it through the, we're going to look at his life, a small section, a small moment in his life where he didn't perform as well as he thought he should, or as we thought he should. The mistake that Abraham makes is something that the world pays for thousands of years later. Abraham is a man who was living a life in a desert. He was a nomad. He was the son of an anonymous family who you don't care about. And God came up to him. And when he had nothing, and his wife was too old to bear children, God said, I'm going to make you into a great family. Really? Here's the problem. My wife is past the age of childbirth. When she was young enough to give birth, she couldn't. And now she's past that age, so it's a double whammy. Now, let me tell you about that culture. In that culture, women's honor was found in their ability to bear a lot of children. Now, I know now, I know now, women, come up, look at me. I know now you're more interested in stretch marks than children. I get that. Right? I get that not many women want more than two kids, and it's usually because their husband wants it, right? I get that whole deal. This is not that culture. This culture celebrated childbirth. A woman's worth was found in her ability to give birth. That's not good or bad. That's simply a different culture. And in this culture, Sarai, who would later become Sarah, had no children. She was older. She was looked as a woman who was under God's curse. Could you imagine? 
in a culture who valued the blessing of God, she was looked at as a woman who was under God's curse. She was desperate to have a child. And so you could imagine their shock when, at, when she was past the age, Abraham couldn't have any more children, Sarah couldn't have any more children, God promised, I'm going to give you the impossible. I'm going to give you what you've always dreamed about. It's greater than hitting the lottery. It's greater than having the best marriage in the history of the world. It's, it's greater than growing up and finding out that you're a princess of a long-lost land. It's the greatest thing in the world. It was too good to be true. But that was God's promise. They find themselves ten years later. Ten years later. Wondering if God really meant what He meant when He said He would give them a great family. You ever been there? So we're going to read five verses. You have the entire chapter because we want you to see the context. I never want you to think that I'm pulling this stuff out of the sky. You could see the whole chapter. But you could read that when you get home. We're going to look at five verses because we'd be here all week. It's our tradition that we stand at the reading of God's Word because He's holy. And his word is awesome. And so, we're going to stand. Genesis. We're actually going to read four verses. Genesis, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Would you all read it with me in a nice, loud voice? One, two, three. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, Your Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took his wife. Hagar gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar. She conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. May God... May God bless the hearing, the reading, and the doing of His Word. Abram, who would be a legend in the future? By the way, did you know that Abram did not have the book of Genesis to refer to to see how his life would turn out? This would be written later on. Abram's living the book of Genesis. And so all Abram had was a promise, a word from God. Go to a land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great family. 
What you don't understand is that Abram, God was answering Abram's deepest needs, fulfilling, fulfilling his greatest longing. I don't know if you've ever had that. For some of you, your deepest need is to be married. You just want a marriage. It's not like you want an evil thing. You want a good thing. For some of you, you want a happy marriage. You're in a marriage already. You just want it to be a happy one. For others of you, you just want finances enough so that you don't have to sweat the week to week. For others, you just like your health back. I was talking, I was talking to uh, an older person from our church whom I love with all my heart, Dave. And I said, he goes, Edwin, how you doing? I said, man, I'm doing great. He, I go, how you doing? He goes, I miss my youth. I miss my youth. Some of us just want our youth back. See, every one of us have that thing that we, if we only had, that would make us happy. If the resolution would happen with the friend, if the peace would happen at home, if the marriage would happen, if the kids would go well, if the job would get right, if the business would turn around, everything would just... that Then I'll be happy. And today we're going to learn that our greatest joy is not found when we try to find the happiness that we think we ought to have, but it's found in glorifying God. So, I want you to read a sentence with me. I'm going to hop around a little bit. In verse 3, listen to this verse. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years... You know, there are no throwaway lines in the Bible. There are no throwaway lines. Every line matters. God had told Abram a few chapters, just a few short chapters ago, that he was going to go to a place where God was going to show him and that he was going to be the father of a great family. just a few chapters ago. But you know what's interesting about the Bible? Is that those chapters represent ten years. It takes about 15 minutes for, me to, for you and me to read from where God made the promise to where Abraham is there. But it's actually ten years. Ten years. It would be another fifteen before God fulfills His promise. Another 15. The Bible puts in there that it's been 10 years because there's doubt creeping in to Abram and Sarai's life. Will God really do what He said He was going to do? Is God really going to give me the clean time I so desire? Will God give me the marriage that I've longed for? Will God turn my health situation around? Is God going to come through 
for me, i.e., is God going to do what I want Him to do? Is God going to help me to overcome my depression, my schizophrenia, my emotional problems? Is God going to make it so that I have peace? And the answer that Abram's wife came up with was, no, God needs my help. You ever try to help God? Yeah? How'd that work out for you? It's with that in mind that I want you to hear these next verses. Remember, we're not talking about a passionless issue for Sarai. This is her very honor. Women, there's nothing I can compare this to in, in today's society. Other than maybe getting like a double vasectomy. You know, like if you get a double vasectomy, you just start going, oh, you know, it affects your womanhood. You know? Now Sarai, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. That scars. That means everyone looked at her and thought she was cursed by God. She thought she was a failure to Abraham. She walked around thinking, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't God do this for me? What's wrong with me? And I know that some of you are walking around with that very thing. Some of you, listen, let me talk to the women for a second. Some of you have um, skin conditions or, or scars or, or uh, you know, like hair that's thinning or, and you think that your womanhood is trapped in your out-adorned beauty. Maybe you're getting sicker and your, your body's giving way. Your value is not found there, but I can't convince you of that in a sermon, can I? Sarah felt like that. She felt like all of who she was would be met if she could just give a kid. But all of us get like that. All of us, whether you're a man or a woman, all of us have been programmed to believe throughout life that if we had something, and it's usually not God, if we just had this one thing, we'd be happy. God's going, no. No. So Sarai, it's been ten years, and she's caressing her doubt. Ten years. 3,655 days. I mean, good night. Ten years. God can't possibly come through. I must be cursed. There must be something wrong with me. There's no way that God would bless me. Nothing good ever happens to me. I'm just a loser. Doubt. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Look up at me. She was right. Do you know 
that God will sometimes cause you to go through some of the most painful things in your life. Things that you would blame Satan for. That God would cause you to go through some of the most painful things in your life because there's a greater glory involved. Because God isn't so much interested in your happiness as he is in your holiness. Now, this is tough to absorb for people like me and you because unlike God, I am not interested in my holiness. I am interested in my happiness. But she can't see that far. All she can see is her barrenness. Ten years. A promise unfulfilled. God, you have failed me. But I'll fix this. What do I got? What do I got? What do I got? I got an Egyptian slave woman. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. How, ladies, how desperate do you have to be to give your husband to another woman? Perhaps I can build sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Listen. I'm going to tell you the source of all your problems in just a few words that are found in the Bible. So I need you to hear it, okay? You ready? Perhaps I can build. God, your construction project has gone on far too long with too many delays. I think you are fired as our GC. I, what I will do is take on the construction job myself. No union people, just me. I will start building on my own. Where are the bricks? And it's in there. God, you're not working fast enough. Yeah. Let me talk to the single women for a second. You've heard me say this before. If you have to use sex to keep your man, he's not worth keeping. I mean, can I shoot that any straighter? Men, if you have to buy the affections of your girl, she's not worth keeping. If you have to lie on your taxes to get more money, it's not worth having. If you have to compromise your morals in order to get what you want, it's not worth getting. But you go, no, you don't understand. Good things will happen if I do this. If I just do this, then everything is going to be just fine. See, I, perhaps I can build. Implication? Because God ain't building nothing. Perhaps I can build a family through her. No, Sarai. God promised to build your family. Abraham agreed. Really? Why would he ever agree to that? Now, dads, let me talk to you for a second. Husbands, let me talk to you. 
Would you just do me a favor and not be a punk in your marriage? Would you just do that? Here's what I mean. I don't mean be a bully. God forbid. In fact, if your husband is being a bully, tell me. I would like to stand in front of him and let him bully me. Don't. Don't be a bully. That's gross and weak. But listen to me. Don't be a punk neither. And here's what I mean. Sometimes your wife will have an idea. You are called, by the way, to know the Bible better than your wife. You're called to teach. Now, now some of us are married to women who are like super spiritual. I just love that, right? And in many ways, my wife is light years ahead of me. So don't hear me say that your wife can't be light years ahead of you in certain things. In many ways, my wife is... In fact, some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made was not taking my wife's suggestion. For real, for real. And some of the... Um, and some of the greatest things I've ever done is taking my wife's suggestions. So you got you, you hear what I'm saying here? I'm not talking about in your machismo, Puerto Rican, black, white, Irish background where it says, oh, I'm the head of this household. Let me tell you something. If you have to declare your headship, you ain't it. So... But here's the deal. Would you just don't be a punk? And here's what I mean. You're called to be like Christ. Do you, do you know what that means? It means you're called to suffer on behalf of your wife. And that looks like a bunch of different things. I'll give you an example. Uh, one time, my wife, who's awesome, won, uh, you know those key food things where you fill them out? And then they say, oh, we'll send you a trip to Barbados or a trip, a cruise around the world or something like that. My wife won one of those. Won one of those. She did. You never met anybody who won one of those? My wife won one of those. And my wife insisted, because our children was really tiny. This is like maybe eight years. I don't know how long ago. I'm not good with timing. Sometimes I'll say eight years and it was like two months ago. It was a long time ago. So it was a long time ago. And, and, and here's the thing. My wife insisted. We argued about this. I mean, argued. She fought me with this. She goes, take your son, Edwin. I said, I'm not taking my son, Edwin. I'm taking you. No, but what if the kids? See, at the time, my wife was still, her children were her God. And she, at the time, she lived her life worshipping her children. And so she couldn't bear to see them, not see them for a week. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll be able to, we have some trusted people that love us and, and we'll be able to take care of them and you're going to go with me. And so she goes, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And I said, no, 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 listen to me. This is going to happen. Now, I went through all sorts of uncomfortable feelings. All sorts of uncomfortable feelings. It was an argument for a while. But we had the best week of our lives. And the kids were watched well. And all their body parts were still attached when we came back. Here's what I'm saying. You have to be willing to fight that fight. There was another one. I never grew up with uh, sweets. You know sweets like chocolate and, and, and candy and things like that? My wife only grew up with sweets. So, you know, you know how uh, some of y'all can't live without like chocolate or things like that? You're addicted. If you, if you added it all up, you'd be like $1,000 in debt every month. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So, so my, my wife grew up in a family like that. 
we were too poor for that. We ate government cheese. We, you know, it was just really, really super poor. We had no money for that. And so I, I saw that my, my family was going in the wrong direction in terms of health. And I knew, and I knew that my daughters, listen to me, I knew that my daughters would suffer for the rest of their lives because the whole world says you have to look this way and be this trim and, and they would suffer with all sorts of esteem issues and all that other stuff. So I said, you know what? We're not bringing any more chocolate into the house. We're not doing any more soda into the house. We're not. Now, to say that that was a fight is to say that I'm just speaking to you for two minutes. Okay? It is an understatement. Okay? That was a, a battle royale that didn't last a day or a week or a month or three months. Six months before we started to implement it. Six months. But it was a battle I was in. And did it feel uncomfortable? Let me tell you something. When I go home, you know what I want? I want peace, man. When I go home, I want peace. I have stress all day long. I don't want stress when I get home. Nobody wants peace more than me when I get home. But you know what was more important than that? It was more important that I be the dad and the father and the husband that God had called me to be and that I lead our family to glorify him and not glorify my idea of, of paradise, which is peace. And so, we fought and 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 fought. Let me give you another one. I asked God to, um, and I'm just giving you my highlights. I ain't giving you my lowlights. Okay, you get it, right? I blow it too. You understand how I blow it, right? The chocolate got back into the house a couple of months afterwards, and I'm still fighting to get it out. Okay, so I'm fighting the fight still. You understand? Be finding rappers under beds like a bunch of alcoholics, like you know, hiding their liquor. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So you understand I'm giving you my highlights, right? So I look good from here, but it's not the truth. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying not to be a punk. I'm not saying I do this perfectly. I'm just trying not to be a punk. So uh, I asked God, I said, God, would you just give us more time together? You know, my family. And a couple of days later, I think the very next day, my TV broke. TV broke. There you go. That'll do it. And so we started to spend time together. We started to do devotionals together. We've been doing that for years. It's really cool. My son hated that. He let me know that he hated that. You know what? About three years ago, three years ago, now now we had been doing this for a decade. Three years ago, he came up to me and said, you know what? Bah, thanks. I know how to play the piano. I know how to play the guitar. I'm pretty good at basketball. I'm a straight-A student because I didn't have any distractions with that TV. He's right. Because we had nothing else to do but to fill the time with actual constructive things. And if my, my son played the piano before you, you would cry. And if my son played the guitar before you, you would cry. He plays beautifully. Not because I'm a great dad. Because I'm trying not to be a punk. So men... Would you just go ahead and agree not to be a punk? Sacrifice your comfort so that your family will be blessed. 
Abraham didn't do that. Back to the text. Abraham didn't do that. He decided to be a punk and he said, Sure, sleep with your girl. I'll be happy to. That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, and we, we just talked about how deep that was, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. You know why? Because when Sarai was tempted to take matters in her own hands, she did. And this is the problem. Would you just receive that life is not meant for your pleasure? That your pleasure, if your pleasure is your God, you will suffer. Think about this. If you're 11 years old, what's your greatest pleasure? Sleeping in late, eating terribly, not going to school. And if you did those three things for the next seven years, you'd be the most miserable person in the world. Think of if you were five years old, what are your greatest pleasures? See, the problem with pleasure is that it's a moving target. It's not your comfort. You know what the source of your joy will be? Obedience to God. And some of us, listen to me, some of us struggle with addiction where we go, God, it's been too long. I keep on relapsing every couple of months. When are you going to do it? And you just go, you know what? Just keep, keep running back to me. Some of you struggle with sexual addictions. God, I keep on clicking on the computer. Some of you struggle with sexual deviancy where you just, man, you're just hurting yourself. Some of you struggle with the love of money where it's all about the overtime and that's why you're here once every year or so because you're pursuing a different God. I get it. I I know, I know, I know. But I'm telling you, listen to me. It's a moving target. I've been by the deathbeds of a lot of people, not a few. A lot of people. I've seen many people take their last breaths. Nobody ever wishes they could spend more overtime. Nobody ever wishes that they could buy more clothes. Nobody ever wishes that they could have the body that they wanted when they were 18. Nobody ever wishes for that. I'm telling you, only God is the only God who's worth worshipping. But it was ten years, and she couldn't wait any longer. And so he gave Abraham to be with his wife. So, he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And let me tell you what she conceived. She conceived a child. Everything went bad after this. You could read the whole thing. If you read the rest of Abraham's story, it all goes bad. Let me tell you, not all of it. I mean, he eventually, because God is faithful. Isn't that interesting? That God is faithful even when we're losers. Now, I know that for some of you, that's the only part of the sermon you heard. That'll be what you use to justify your sin. Oh, well, I could be unfaithful because God will be faithful. So let me go and do be an idiot and all that other stuff. 
And if you do that, then you get what you deserve. Good, congratulations. You win. But listen to me. Listen to me. God is faithful and merciful. But Abraham suffered so greatly. Let me tell you what they got. Let me tell you what she conceived. She conceived a child that Abraham, just a few years later, would have to expel from his house. Could you imagine the heartache of a father of having to kick his own son out of his house? Hagar hated Sarai after that. Sarai hated Hagar after that. More and more, Abram fell back into the punk role and said, do with your servant what you want. Wouldn't even... Wouldn't even intervene there. Caused not only damage and pain for their lives, but has anybody here ever heard of the Israeli-Arab War? Yeah. Yeah. The conflict that they still experience going on till today is because Abraham couldn't say, Honey, we're going to trust God. His son, Ishmael, is the father of the Arab world. He's the father of the Arab world. The Arab world gets their lineage from Ishmael. The Israeli world gets their lineage from Isaac. So, think about this for a second. Think about that. Think about the deaths that have been caused because of that war, because of that disobedience. Thousands of years later, now think about some of the havoc that you've caused in your life. Long after God said, don't go, don't do, don't go in that direction. Because here's the thing, guys, and here's the lesson that I want you to receive. When you're tempted to take matters into your own hands, put the matter in the only hands that matter. So, what do we do with this? Here's what we do. Abraham is a great example of what not to do, so let me share with you what to do. Oh, and by the way, I want to say this. Did you know that Sarai was not sinning or breaking a law? That was normal in her culture. In her culture, if she couldn't have a baby, it was perfectly legal. You know the Ten Commandments? They would not come into play till a few hundred years later. Did you know that? And did you know that it was culturally acceptable for her to do this? So what would happen is, is that she would have a baby through a servant. The servant would sit on her lap and symbolically she would pass birth and it, was, it would be as if it came out of Sarah's womb. And so there was no law of God that, uh, that didn't permit it. And there was no law of man that didn't permit it. So how, did, how could she possibly know that this wasn't God's will? Because God had made a promise. She was to rely on God's word, not her circumstances. Rely on God's word, not her feelings. And when we rely on God's word... And not our circumstances and feelings. What we find is suffering and truth and goodness. 
And when we rely on our own emotions, what we find is pleasure and suffering and disappointment. I'm telling you guys. I'm telling you. I wish you could be in my office. I wish you could be a fly on the wall. I wish you could be a fly on the wall when I do my counseling. Did you not know that leaving the wife of 20 years would cause this kind of damage to your children and to your wife and to yourself? Yeah, but it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I know. I know. See, because when we don't live according to God's word, we suffer for it. Because when we have a bad marriage, we want to take matters into our own hands. Don't do it. When you're tempted to take matters into your own hands, put the matter in the only hands that matter. A lot of you right now are going through something. And the choice is to put the matter into your own hands. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Some of you are having inappropriate conversations with people at work. And the marriage is not going well. Oh, but it's just harmless flirtation. Oh, boy. Put the matter in God's hands. You're about to press eject on your marriage because it's not going well. Oh, boy. Don't sign the papers. You're about to try some ridiculous thing because what, you're, what you want isn't happening. So how do you know? How do you know when it's God's will? How do you know when you're not living in doubt but you're living in faith, looking at God, knowing that He can fulfill His promises? Well, here's how you do it. Here's two questions you can ask yourself. Are you ready? Okay. These are two important questions. I want you to write them down. Get a pen, pencil, or mascara. (laughs) But write this down. The first question is a very simple question. And it's the most profound. And it's, Is this for God's glory? So much of what we do is not for our glory, but for our pleasure. Not for God's glory, but for our pleasure. And I'm telling you, pleasure is deceptive. Is this for God's glory? Is the marriage I'm in? Is the lifestyle I live? Is this for God's glory or my pleasure? Is it because I'm wired this way or is it because I want to just glorify God and His Word? Am I obeying God's Word or am I obeying my own emotions? I'm telling you. Go with God's Word. Is this for God's glory? Secondly, write this down. What do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? Now, it's important to answer this question because here's where the real matter is. And if you can't be honest with yourself on this question, then you know something's wrong. What do I get out of this? Well, I, I just feel better. I get, to, I get to feel better. I get to get what I want. I get a night of whatever. Okay. So, as the worship team comes up, I was um, working 
and planting this church. It was a lot of years ago. As I was working and planting this church, um, I got into about $30,000 worth of debt. In fact, we still use some of the speakers that I bought back then. I paid the rent of the church, I paid for the men's home, and all this other stuff. The church couldn't afford to pay me, so I worked a full-time job. It all came to a head one day when God told me, uh, rather not God told me, when I was looking around the couches and checking around the house because I didn't have $15.75 to take my son to piano class. $15.75. When I say I didn't have $15.75, I mean my credit cards were maxed out. I had borrowed all the money I was going to borrow from other people. My account had been down to zero. In my pockets, the change in the couch, there was absolutely nothing I had. I was $15.75 I could not find anywhere. And it was one of those days that was just... And I said, you know what? This is crazy. Planting this church is costing too much. My family... family I'm not able to feed my family the way I want to. A little while later, my boss offered me a job that pays... Six figures. Now, for a guy like me, who doesn't have a seventh grade education, who didn't graduate high school, that's the lottery. That's as good as I'm going to get. And so, they offered me a six-figure job, but I had a promise from God that I was to teach God's Word and that I was to do this stupid Bible study. So I said no to that job, even though I would have gotten a luxury apartment in New Jersey overlooking the Manhattan skyline with bonus, if you include the apartment and the bonuses and the salary, it would have been a six-figure job. We would have been on easy street according to me. There's only one catch it would have been a 24-7 position and I wouldn't have been able to do this stupid Bible study that we had just started. That was about 11 years ago or 10 years ago or some years ago. I shudder to think, guys, I shudder to think what my life would have been like if I would have gone down that road and not been here with you today. Now, saying no to that cost me. It would be over three years before the church could pay me any salary at all. Three years. Any salary. A penny. Three years of living on faith. Three years of people bringing food to my house. Three years of getting donations from people I don't know. Three years. It would be another four years after that that you could actually pay me enough to have an apartment. I would have never 
looking back, I would have never, what I would have missed out in this adventure. All the suffering that I would have missed that made me the man that I am right now. All the, all the joy that I've seen in watching many of you come to Christ and grow in Christ. All that. I would have missed it all if I would have just went with what solves the problem in that moment. Guys, listen to me. I'm not speaking to you as a person who doesn't know the tension of my pleasure versus God's Word. But I'm telling you, God's Word is better. And so right now, you might find yourself in a position like that where you go, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know who holds the future. And I can trust His Word. So here's what I want you to do. Throughout this week, what I want you to do is I want you to start trusting God in the small stuff. Now, your small stuff might be my big stuff. And my big stuff might be your, or my small stuff might be your big stuff. But listen to me. I want you to start trusting God. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in other words, you know that He's paid your shame and sin debt. You know, you know that He's paid your guilt debt. Alright. Did Jesus Christ pay for all your sins? Okay, that's not a rhetorical question. It's, it's actually something I want you to answer. Did Jesus Christ pay for all your sins? Yes. Did He secure your eternity in heaven forever? Did He send His Holy Spirit to live inside you so that you could live according to His Word and live the joy of the Spirit-filled life? Did He do that? Then if He's taking care of your eternity and your greatest problem, your sin and shame and guilt, how can He not take care of that boyfriend or that girlfriend situation or that marriage situation? How can He not give you joy with that disease? Even if you keep that disease for the rest of your life, how can He not give you joy in the midst of that for the rest of your days? The Holy Spirit lives in you. How, even if your body is broken, can you not find joy in Christ? How can He not fulfill that? Listen, it's always going back to the cross and saying, God, if you did this great thing for me, I can trust you. I can trust you with my addiction, with my disease, with my sickness, with my marriage, with my relationship. I can trust you with my purity. I can trust you with my future, my hopes, my dreams. You can be trusted because you did the greatest thing for me. And so it's always going back to the cross. So, for those of you who don't know Jesus, I wish I knew what to tell you. I wish I could give you some hope. Because the thing that gives me hope is not a philosophy. The thing that gives me hope is what someone did for me in the past. 
And I know if he was faithful to deal with my biggest problem, my sin, and if he paid such a high price on the cross, if he did that, then I know he can handle my cigarette problems. I know he can handle my anxiety issues. I know he can do it. Because he's dealt with so much more. There are a lot of you right now who are in that sort of moment where you're either going to do God's will or you're going to go in a wrong direction. That what you're going to do is not for God's glory. That what you're going to do is for your pleasure and not God's glory. In a couple of seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand because I want to pray a special prayer for you. Not that the prayer has power or anything like that. It's not special in that. It's a specific prayer. I should say I want to pray a specific prayer for you. And what I want the rest of us to do is that, listen to me, as you go on, if anybody asks you, so what was this sermon about? Listen, when, when I want to take matters into my own hands, I'm going to put the matter in God's hands. That's whatever it is, small or big. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to reflect back on what He's done for me, knowing the assurance that I have in that and grow in my affection for Christ. Because if He did that for me, certainly the other things can't compare. So, those of you who are sort of at that precipice, that place where you have a pivotal decision to make and you're teetering, you go, I don't know if I'm going to do God's word or I'm going to do my will. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, you know the struggles that each one here standing is going through. You know the temptations and the weaknesses. You know the proclivities, their anxieties, their fears. Father, you know Would you remind us of the cross? Would you remind us, O oh Lord, that there's a Messiah that came through the loins of Abraham, through Isaac, then Jacob, that saved the whole world, that you had planned this for thousands of years, and that we get the benefit of looking back and seeing your work and what you've done. And so, Lord, I pray that we would choose Jesus, that we would choose your word. Help us, O oh God, as we go throughout the week to surrender small things to you, that when we're tempted to take matters into our own hands, that we would put the matter in your hands. Father, I pray that you would give us the comfort of your presence, that we would not move towards our pleasure, that we would live for your glory and not our pleasure. Help us, O oh God, to submit to you. And for those who don't 
know you. Who don't have the assurance of knowing you. Lord, I pray that they surrender today to you now. I pray, oh God, that they would confess their sins to you specifically that Tuesday morning at 3 o'clock in the morning. The things that they're guilty about, the things that they feel shame about, that thing that happened to them at 5 years old, that they would confess it to you. And Lord, that they would receive your forgiveness, asking you to be the boss of their lives surrendering their bodies to you. Give us a habit, O oh God, that when we're tempted to take matters into our own hands that we put the matter in your hands. That you would be glorified for your glory and name's sake. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.